are uh, in week two of our At The Movies series, and the whole idea of the At The Movies series is that we're going to use popular movies as a springboard to dive into deeper biblical conversation. Uh, That's what we're all about, is getting into God's Word. But there are so many great stories told through movies that you ever watch a movie and you're just like, man, that's deep. I'm not even sure why it's so deep. It's, there's lightsabers, but it's, but it's deep. And so every year we do different, uh, different types of movies. Last year we did hero, superhero movies. Uh, the year before that we did 80s movies, which was a lot of fun. This year we're focusing on what we're calling epic movies. These epic stories told in epic ways, uh, epic movies. I think that we really resonate with epic movies for a very simple reason. Uh, because as big as the epic tale is, the epic tale always hinges on the individual. Like there's a main character or there's a, there's a main family or a main group of people. And it's amazing that these very small individuals in the grand scheme of things can have such a large impact on the big story. And I think we resonate with that because, first of all, I think we wish that that would be true for us. But secondly, I think we res- resonate with it because that's true for us. God has this epic story that's been happening since creation and he has asked you to be a part of it. Not only that, but he can come down from his huge throne and he can come and he can interact with us and he can commune with us and he can spend time with us. Uh, That's what Jesus is all about. We talk about Jesus every week at our church and that's the whole deal. That God says, I've got an epic story to tell, but it's about about my relationship with your heart as well. It's a really cool thing. And so um, let's talk about that. Let's talk about epic movies. Uh, The cat is out of the bag. Today's movie is Harry Potter. Uh, Harry Potter in 1997. An unknown British author named J.K. Rowling hit the lottery when she wrote a story about a little boy named Harry who lived under the stairs at his abusive uncle and aunt's house. Uh, he was a runt. He was a nobody. Nobody understood him. And, and you know, he kind of had, had nowhere to go until this happened. He discovered that he was a wizard. What? And it's kind of a weird, fantastical story. But from that story, man... The, the, the world just responded. J.K. Rowling, uh, she, she expanded the story to seven novels. They're some of the thickest books I've ever read. Uh, they, they became, uh, by the way, the novels sold 400 million copies, if the Wikipedia article I read was correct. Um, eight movies that came after that. And then most recently, she's kind of uh, expanded the story through a play that was put on in, in uh, England. But that play is a book. And it's, by the way, if you're a Harry Potter fan, I recommend it. It's not the same, but it's pretty good. Okay, like, not only that, like, I, I did some, some digging into her story. Story, the Harry Potter brand. First of all, J.K. Rowling is the first ever author to become a billionaire as an author. Secondly, secondly, the Harry Potter brand is worth over $25 billion. I checked out Forbes magazine website. That is worth the combined value of like the top seven or eight most valuable professional sports franchises. Harry Potter is worth more than that. Wow! Man, did she hit the jackpot when she wrote that story. What is this story? What's all the fuss about? Well, you, you might not know it, and I, I get it. Uh, just like last week, we talked about Star Wars, and it's like, oh, you don't know the story? But it's okay. It's okay because, it, it, you know, you don't know the story. This is basically the gist of the story. Uh, you've got this little boy, Harry Potter. Um, not only is he a wizard, but he's world famous because as a baby, he defeated the most powerful dark wizard to ever live. And no one really understands how he did it or what happened. But this dark wizard's name was, well, they called him he who must not be named, right? But I'm not afraid. I called him Voldemort, right? Boom. All right. And so Harry's not afraid of him either. And for some reason, we don't know why, but uh, uh, as Voldemort is attacking, there's this whole thing that happens. As a baby, Harry just, can, just beats him. And it's a mystery. And people are like, what? And basically, the story expands like this. 
Voldemort is not killed, but he's greatly weakened. And so he spends the next decade or so building himself out back up, and he's got this army of people and all this stuff. And the story of Harry Potter is basically the story of this guy trying to come back into power, eventually take out Harry Potter, and, you know, rule the world. And that's like the plot of every great movie. Um, but that's, that's the story. That's Harry Potter in a very small nutshell. The, the thing about uh, Harry Potter's story that makes it so epic, though, is the scope and the size of this battle that's happening. Because as Voldemort uh, comes into power over and over and over, Harry is forced to face his foe and fight him. And no spoilers here, but there's seven movies, so it, they're all called Harry Potter. Um, <laughs> at the beginning, it's, it's a battle that seems unwinnable, but by the end... Time after time after time, it's like, what is with this kid? How is he able to continue to do well? Fantasy movies aren't everybody's cup of tea. I get it. Some people are like, yawn, like they're, I mean, this is dumb. Why are we talking about this? More importantly, why in the world are we talking about Harry Potter at church? Um, pretty sure, uh, you know, and then like it's funny because there's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a substrata of Christianity that would even say like Harry Potter is the devil, and you shouldn't read it. That might be where you are with that. Um, I'm, I think that fantasy tells the story of God in an amazing way, and so that's not the goal here at all. But the, the question is, what story could we learn from Harry Potter that would teach us about God? And the truth is, there's a lot. There, there is so much in there. There's the classic fight between good and evil, which we kind of covered last week. There is this internal struggle going on. There's a subplot in the Harry Potter stories about uh, equality, which is pretty deep, pretty big. There's this whole thing between the pure blood wizards and the people who aren't pure blood. And even there's this little like undercurrent of like save the house elves, Team Dobby, you with me on that? Like that's a whole thing. Only if you read the books. Like if you didn't read the books, you're like, that's not in the movie. Yeah. The books are better. Shut up. Um, watch it all. But, but the real thing that I see when we, when we like extrapolate the whole series, what is it that really makes... Harry Potter's story unique and something that we can learn from today, especially something I think that God empowers in us, is a power that Harry discovers that's not magic. It's a power that all of us have access to. It's the power of friendship. Like all the way through the story, Harry does these amazing feats and he becomes the famous one. But somebody help me out. Who are Harry's best friends that are there all the way? Who? Rod and Hermione. I see you. Rod and Hermione, right? I got a picture, do I? I think I do. Rod and Hermione are their, are their the friends, and constantly everything that Harry in the middle does, Ron and Hermione, Ron is from a, a wizarding family, and like they go way back, and they're like pure bloods. You got Hermione, she's not from a wizarding family, but she's brilliant. And all along the way, Harry never achieves anything without the fellowship, without the companionship, without the community of these two friends. And it's that idea that I want to land on today. To be honest, this movie series, like, uh, as cool as it is to talk about movies, I always love this moment in the message where I get to go, okay, can we pause in the movie? Let's get into the truth that God has for us today. Because this concept of some community, this concept of fellowship, this concept of togetherness is something that God gifts us. He gives us. And it is amazing power that if we tap into it, God can do amazing things with our life. God designed us to live in community. God designed us to live in community. I love to look to the Bible for the answers to life's most important questions. And so today as we discover community and what it means to live in that as the church, as uh, people, by the way, if you're here today and like, you're like, I don't know if Christianity is for me. I don't know if church is for me. I'm here with a friend. This is my first time. This would be a really good day for you to be here because you can say, what is the church about? Like, do I really want to do this? It might be that you, uh, that you, that you don't know 
all the things that the church could be about. And our goal is to check into that today. We're going to be in the Bible in the book of Acts, chapter 2. I'd encourage you to grab a Bible. Feel free to look up on your phone. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you today, there were some that were kind of scattered among some of the seats. Maybe you're close to one. And I want to let you know that if you don't have a good readable version of the Bible, please take one of these home with you today. We want you to have a, a free Bible. Just to, Everybody should have a Bible. Um, but we're going to be in Acts chapter 2. It's in the New Testament of the Bible, which is that last third of our American English Bibles. And the book of Acts, uh, it was written by a guy uh, named Dr. Luke. Luke was a historian as well. He wrote a book called Luke, uh, which was the biography of Jesus' life. And then he writes a kind of a follow-up companion, second volume of his work that we call Acts. And it's the, the biography or the history of the early church, like right after it started. And, and how did they do things and how did they live? So in Acts chapter 2, we kind of see this really pivotal moment where the church first begins. And we're going to be starting in verse 42, Acts 2, starting at verse 42. And let's just see how Luke, in this book called Acts, describes the first church. See, most of you there, if you, if you don't have it, it's going to be on the screen behind me, uh, and it'll be like 30 feet tall, so you should be able to see it just fine. Acts 2, 42, it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together, and they had everything in common. Our church family, Venture Church, uh, will be celebrating our, first, our fourth birthday since we launched. Four years. Some of you guys have been around that whole four years. Some of y'all were here before like we started counting uh, for like a whole year before that when we were doing just a, some house church and just like meeting in people's living rooms. It's really cool because as a young church, I love to go back to the book of Acts and ask ourselves, what did they do in the first church? Like we're new. Let's not, let's not just pour in a bunch of man-made tradition and stuff. Let's, like, what does the Bible say the church should be? That's one of our goals. And this passage has been very powerful for us. That last phrase there said, and they had everything in common. And that phrase, they had everything in common, that's, that's a huge part that we see in the early church. When you think common, think share and share alike. Think common space, right, or common-minded, uh, common you know. These are people who were there, and they were sharing, and they were taking care of each other. He expounds on it some more in the next verse. Uh, you can just keep reading it. It says, they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke breads in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I think of it like this. I think it's funny um, to go to like the, the childhood homes of my adult friends and see pictures of them when they were like kids. You're, you're like seeing your adult friends and pictures of them while they were kids. Or really, shoot, some, some of our teenagers that are in here, just to look at you guys when you were like babies. And what's really neat is like you can see a picture of somebody from a long time ago, and you can kind of see them there. Like there's a little, little twinkle in the eyes there. The teeth are kind of similar. It's hidden under some weird haircut and like an old-fashioned, right? But you're looking, you're like, this <laughs> is always what we do. How was you, huh? Hey, you look the same way. And, like, I'm not going to throw anybody under the bus. Like, I, I, I can show you the pictures of my mullet days, man. Back in the late 80s, man, business in the front, party in the back. In fact, Billy Ray Cyrus came around. I hit the rat tail hard. Don't judge me, okay? Some of you guys are still rocking it. Um, but I don't know. Uh, maybe. But the deal is, you know, we look at these things, and, we, and this, is, this is why I bring this up. Because when we see pictures of people from back earlier, it's, it's before life happened many times. Especially when you see somebody as a kid. It's, it's before... It's before they won the Little League Championship or lost it. It's before the bad decisions were made. It's before the good decisions were made. It's before the marriage or the failed marriage. It was before the, the cancer and the chemo or it was before the career, right? And you see this picture and you're like, man, th th this kid, so innocent. 
you know, the, the sky's the limit, the horizons are wide open. Life hasn't happened yet, and in many ways, they still are kind of the author of their own destiny. You know what I mean? Like, it just, just hasn't happened yet. The reason I bring that picture into our mind is because that's what we see in Acts chapter 2. Little baby church. It hasn't been thousands of years of, of man-made tradition. It hasn't been, you know, centuries of, of, of division and denominationalism and, and all the stuff that has happened. And I'm not, you know... We are what we are, and then we, we wear our scars, and that's what happens. But, like, you look at Acts chapter 2, and you're like, oh, man, what a, what a beautiful thing. And, and how he describes it there is just so cool. As you read the book of Acts, you see that kind of same picture. And I, so I want to look at it again at Acts 2.42. We're just going to kind of hang out on this verse. This is what it says. What did they do as a church? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Now, I'm sure they did other things. They probably, like, you know, mowed the grass and, like, went to sports games or whatever you did in the first century. I, they, did, they had life. But I love that what Luke chooses to point out here is the four things that they were committed to. And as a new church, that's something we continually turn back to. Like, are we at least doing these four things to the best of our ability? I want to spend some time today talking about those four things. Uh, and, and I'm just going to break them down kind of bullet point style. And so the first one that they, they focus on is the apostles' teachings. The apostles' teachings. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. Think about this. Uh, you, you might not know this. Maybe you did. We read uh, the Bible today, and it was you know, compiled a long time ago, and there's a lot of discussion we can have about that. We, we've had some of those conversations. And, but it, the New Testament of the Bible was primarily written by, do you know who? The apostles. The apostles were the group of people that Jesus was closest to, and he commissioned them to lead the church. And so he teaches them. The early church, what do they devote themselves to? The apostles' teachings. Did they read the Bible? Not the apostles' teachings, because those things hadn't been written down yet. What's really cool is that the author of the majority of the New Testament, those people, they were the pastors and the elders and the teachers and the leaders and the, you know, the hosts and small group leaders of the early church. How cool would that have been? To like sit with Peter and just listen to him. Why? Because Peter spent one-on-one -on -one time with Jesus. So it makes sense that they would devote themselves to the apostles' Teachings. And so every week, I don't say this phrase every single week. I said it earlier today. Uh, but we, we say this. We want every week, we love to look to the Bible for the answers to life's most important questions. You know what that is? We want to be devoted to the apostles' teachings. These are people who sat at the feet of Jesus and were literally taught by him how we should live and what the church should look like and how we should react to the world. And so this is, I could spend a lot more time on that, but that's the first thing they devoted to, the apostles' teaching. There are three more, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. And if it's okay with you, I'm going to handle them in reverse order. Okay, so we're going to start out with prayer. Prayer. So the apostles' teaching, secondly, prayer. Prayer uh, Prayer is, is, a, is a big topic. It's confusing to a lot of people. Um, how do I pray? Am I good enough to pray? I don't feel like God can listen to me right now because, man, I've done so many bad things. I don't know enough big words. <laughs> how can I pray? Maybe you grew up hearing a certain type of prayer. You're like, I, don't, I haven't memorized that one. What is prayer? At the very base level, prayer is, is conversation with God. It's me whether I'm on my knees or I'm standing up or I'm driving or I'm laying in my bed or it's that brief moment right before something bad really happens and you're like, oh, dear God. It is a conversation with God. We're not going to spend a ton of time on prayer because, I mean, there, there's four things here. We could literally do a four-part series on these things, and we have, actually. Um, but I want to point you to our podcast on our website, jointheventure.com, and we've got two uh, teaching series specifically on prayer. I think it's seven sermons in total and if you if you got questions about prayer how could I really contact spend contact with God how can I what do I pray about how do I pray but there's something that I kind of want you to know about prayer the first thing is this you, you don't have to be a professional to do it 
You don't have to be trained. You don't have to, nobody's got to, you know, cross you and make sure you get it all. No, it's like, this is the thing about prayer. God is a loving father, and we are his children, and he wants to hear from us. That, it's a beautiful thing. And when you're like, I, I've messed up too much, I can't talk to God, he's like, I know, I was there, I saw the whole thing. I want you to talk to me. And in prayer, we can go to God and we can thank him for things. That's one of the most important things we can do and praise him. We can worship him through talking to him. We can uh, ask for forgiveness for stuff. He's a big fan of that. We can confess things to him. Another cool thing is we can pray on behalf of other people. Hey, so-and-so is having a problem, Lord. Can you just step in, help him out? Prayer is probably the most powerful tool we have access to. And through it in my own life, I have seen prayer work. I've seen people get jobs that they prayed for. I've seen, this is the thing that people always want to know, and, and I've seen it, and I think a lot of you have, I know a lot of you have too. I've seen people be healed from medical things, where doctors are like, I don't know, it must have been a miracle. <laughs> I don't know. And then a bunch of people who are praying were like, well, I know what it was. I prayed about it really hard. I know that also God doesn't always answer prayers the exact way that we hope he will, so that's frustrating. I'm like, why? I asked for it to go away. Why didn't it go away? So I'd encourage you to think a lot about prayer and maybe see what it can mean for you. We're going to have some time at the end of the service today. Just spend a minute reflecting on what's been said and just pray. If you've never prayed before, you can just say, God, uh, I'm here. I'm trying. <laughs> Help me out. That's a great prayer. It's a good place to start. Um, they devoted themselves to the apostle teaching, to the fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayer. We talked about prayer. Let's keep on going. Let's look at the third thing. It says, they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. In the early church, they kind of did this in two ways. And in the modern church, we kind of do it in two ways. The breaking of bread, you know, bottom line, when you talk about breaking bread with someone, what does that mean? Like, we're eating, right? Nothing, nothing in the world breaks down walls with people easier than sharing a meal with them. I mean, because when you slow down, you start filling your face, and suddenly, like, you just, you get to feeling good. And you're like, you know what? I will talk to this person. Breaking of bread. So this is something that the church, early church did all the time. They shared meals in one another's houses. Uh, we do small groups at our church. By the way, our small group signups uh, have been going on. They started last week. And so if you want to meet some people at our church, uh, you can sign up at a table in the lobby as you go. But um, I've heard of small groups that what they do, what they do for their small group is they like get together and they prepare dinner together. That's what they do. You bring the salad. We'll do Italian tonight. You bring a salad. I'll bring some pasta. You bring the bread. Somebody bring salad dressing. You bring some sweet tea, you know, whatever. Like, and that's what they do. And in the process of making this meal, what are they doing? They're hanging out. Breaking bread is huge. It was great. Uh, I, I, again, if, if you're a college student who's here maybe for your first time this week, I want to welcome you guys back. And as a church, one thing we've tried to do is, is really embrace college students and say, hey, let's help you, let us help you find an anchor in a local church while you're here. Uh, and a group of college students came to my house uh, last Sunday, and we, man, we just, we had chicken wings, they were good, we had some, uh, we had some sausage balls, we had some, it was food, it wasn't a ton of food, like me and my wife aren't super rich, so we didn't form the buffet, but we were like, let's just share some food, and this is what happened. We set my front yard with little, little appetizer plates, <laughs> and we ate food, but what we did was we broke down walls, we got to know each other, I got to meet a couple of people I hadn't met before, I got to build relationships with people that I'd already, man, break bread together, that's huge. That's one way that the early church did it. But another way that they did it, I said there were two ways, is something that survives today is what we call communion. And right around the room, you see these tables, two right here, and there's two closer to the back, a little piece of bread, a little cup of juice. Jesus gets together with these apostles right before he's going to give his life uh, as a sacrifice for, for the sin of the world. And, and he gathers with them around a meal. What's he doing? Breaking bread. And he, and he pulls them in, in this one moment. He takes a piece of some bread and he takes uh, some, some wine. We use grape juice here. And he breaks the bread and he passes it around the cup and he says, this bread and this wine is, is my body. 
It's broken for you. My blood's poured out for you. And I want you, when you get together, I want you to share a meal, and I want you to remember my sacrifice until I come again. So that process, uh, that, that, that meal, was something that the early church did every single week. That's why we do it every week here, uh, because we're like, you know, we never want to forget what Jesus told us not to forget. We want to do that, and so we break bread in this way. It's not to fill our bellies to get us through till lunch. If so, maybe you need to bring like your, a bigger glass and we can like, fill it up with grape juice for you. Like, that's not the point of it. The point of it is as a memorial uh, service to remember this thing that Jesus did for us. So what did the early church do? They, they, had, uh, they, they, they focused on the apostles' teaching. They, they prayed. They broke bread together. And this fourth thing said they fellowshiped. They fellowshiped. This, this idea of fellowship is what I want to wrap up with today. Fellowship is, is really what Christian community is about. Uh, remember um, the whole conversation about Harry Potter that we started with, and he did some really cool things, but he could never have done it without the help of his friends. I get by with a little help from my friends, right? And uh, don't get high, but, you know, that's the song. <laughs> and so Harry Potter is going through this world, and he's got to have his friends with him. That's where the Harry Potter analogy ends. With our church family, with each other, with the world, we've got to have community with one another. I had a friend in college. Uh, he did a paper on the, the Greek word for fellowship, and he defined it in his paper as a living bond. A living bond. What is fellowship? Fellowship is a living bond. And so to clarify that, it's not a, it's not a loose acquaintance. It's not a shared club membership. It's not a, hey, how you doing? You're a good brother. Passing the hallway, we're done. That's not fellowship. Like that's, I don't know, knowing someone's name. That's acquaintance. But fellowship is a living bond. Like we're sharing life together. Something that's living is something that's growing, something that needs nourishment, something that can die, right? That's fellowship. I like, I like that definition of fellowship. When people think about church, one of the first things that pops in our mind, especially in our modern culture, when we say church, the first thing that comes to your mind is probably a place, the church down the road. What'd you do on Sunday? We went to church, right? And that's okay. That's what we say. It's words. It's, it's, it's what it is. But, but that's not what the church is. The church is not a place. You might also think of church as a ceremony or a service. I went to church today. I spent, you know, I've been an hour and 15 minutes in the service. The guy talked too long, right? That's, that's, that's what we think of when we think of church. It's part of church, but it's not what the church is. Church is about being the hands and feet of Jesus in the community we live in. Not only that, but more importantly, being the hands and feet of Jesus in each other's lives. Remember the description that we got? Uh, let's look ahead at, at Acts 2, verse 44 through 47. It says, all the believers were together. They had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Man, when's the last time you heard someone struggling, make it financially, and you're like, I'm sorry to hear that. Okay. <laughs> These dudes are like, you know what? I got four cars. Brother can't pay his light bill. Wow. You know? And that's, that's, what, that's what they're doing. Selling possessions gave to anyone who had a need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This was a group who looked out for each other. Talk about living bond. They were best friends. Maybe not before they knew Jesus. But after they met Jesus, they were like, we got to do life together. We've got to be each other's uh, accountability. We've got to get each other's back. They cared for each other. They learned together. They worshiped together. They ate together. They rejoiced together. They mourned together. We see in other places that they also suffered together. Suffering stinks, right? But isn't it a lot easier when you can do it with somebody else? 
this was what the church was about. It was more than just a social club. It was, it was family. You know, God designed us to live in fellowship, in community with people. I said that at the very beginning, but I, I'm, I'm serious. Like, this is biblically founded. And you look at the very beginning of time. After God had created like the whole universe, the last thing he did was create mankind. He creates Adam. And I love this verse in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. This is what he says kind of about Adam. He says, man, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And he created Eve so that Adam wouldn't be what? Alone. He knows that we need each other. We need community. Fellowship, community, it, it enriches our experience of life because we're not having to do it alone. Listen to this. Um, look, I know we've got a bunch of teenagers in the audience today. Guys, listen to me, please. Your closest community, your closest friends will determine the shape and the direction and the quality of your life. Your closest community will determine the direction and the quality of your life. Anybody that's a little older can be like, yeah. Because it's the people that you allow to influence you. And it's the people that you care most about that you will be most like. So sometimes we come to church, we read our Bibles, we do things, and we're like, I want to be like that. And then we go hang out with people who do not reflect that. I'm not saying we shouldn't have friends who don't reflect that. We should. We'll talk about that in just a second. But the people that are closest to us will shape the direction and the quality of your life. Every single time, I've heard this said, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. <laughs> it's, just, it's just true. So i got a challenge for us today. i got a two-part challenge. It's kind of how we're wrapping up today, a two-part challenge. And I think if we can all take this home with us, not only will we be better people, but that's not really the goal. The goal is that we give glory to God with our lives. We'll be able to do that better too. First goal. First goal is this. We need to be people who place a priority on being in community, in real fellowship with people who will help us grow in our faith and in our understanding and service of God. That's a long sentence, but this is, this is the, the, the summary of it. Surround yourself with God chasers. In our church, we say that a God chaser is someone who's devoted to bringing glory to God with their life. And if we surround ourselves with God chasers, they don't have to be perfect. Good gracious, we'll, we won't have any friends. Uh, but they just have people with the same goal. If we surround ourselves, if we make that a priority, if we say, these are the people I've got to let influence me so that I can influence them back, and we can be in this thing together, we will be in the position where we can live out the life that God created us to live. Too often, church becomes secondary. It's just a thing on our calendar. And I'm not talking about the Sunday morning thing, like coming to church. I'm talking about the people at our church. And you're like, I know them. Yeah, I go to church with them. I can't remember their name. Like that happens. You know, we're still a new church. We're still learning each other. But when you, when you stop and, and, and count off the people that are closest to you in life, I just wonder how many of them are people who are church people. Listen to what I'm saying. I'm not saying venture church people. There's a lot of great churches in this community, okay? We're not the only church. We're not the only Christians. But are there people in your life who are committed to living their life for Jesus? And are they the closest people to you? Because if they're not, your community shapes the direction and the quality of your life. Let's place a priority on doing that. We've got, we've got a thing. I've got a couple of ways I'm going to encourage you to do this. But before we do the, the ways I want to encourage you to do this, I want to, I want to say this. Um, a church like us, Venture Church, a church can't program relationships. We say all the time, Venture Church, uh, small groups is the greatest way to build relationships. It's a great way to build relationships. But you can't program that. Do you remember middle school? Did you sign up for best friends? <laughs> Who wants the best friend? I, need one. I mean, there was that kid, and, you know, hopefully he made it. Um, 
But relationships happen when you step outside of your comfort zone and say, hey, my name's Chris, right? And so, like, as much as, as, much as we can try and be like, we're going to do events, we're going to, like, have a chili cook-off, we're going to do uh, small group sign-ups, we're going to have serving teams, we're going to serve in the community, like, this only happens if you take it and make it a priority. Does that make sense? That's me too. And so, but here's some ways that you can make it a priority, just a couple. The first one is this. The first one is just, how about stick around? Stick around. That's a phrase I say a lot on Sundays. Stick around. Uh, if it's your first time here, Stick around. Stick around for one more week. Um, meet some people. Maybe you just want to listen for a couple weeks and be like, am I really on board with what these people are about? That's fine. That's cool. But stick around. You can't build relationships if you don't stick around. Some of you had people in your life who didn't stick around. Now those relationships work out. We've got to, we just got to be around. <laughs> We've got to be here on Sundays. We've got to be involved in stuff that our church does. We've got to know people. But it could start just by sticking around uh, Come back one more time. See where it goes. Be brave, maybe. Say hey to somebody that you don't know uh, today before you leave. Stick around. Here, here's a second suggestion on how we can make this a priority. I love it. Break bread. Break bread. Let's do it. Let's eat food. You have permission from the Bible to grub out, okay? And so when you leave today, we're a mobile church, and so a lot of us stick around and help clean up. Uh, you're welcome to stick around and help with that. It'd be fantastic. But sometimes it's hard to grab a meal because it's like, you know, 12, 15, 12, 30 before you get out of here. You're like, I just got to get home. So maybe not today. Maybe, hey, you, wanna, you guys want to grab dinner? Uh, our two families get together next, this week during the week. Or maybe if, if you are headed out, say, hey, let's grab some food together. Maybe you came with some friends. I, look, eating out might not be in your budget. Eating out is expensive. In fact, I don't recommend eating out a whole lot. I think that's a bad use of our money. <laughs> sometimes, yes, all the time, make a sandwich. Um, but... But break bread. Maybe just say, hey, you want to come to my house? We're, we're going to watch a game tonight. We got some popcorn in the microwave. Break bread. Spend some time with people over food uh, because it's, it works. It breaks down walls and it helps us get to know each other. Uh, so stick around. Break bread. The th- third one is this. I mentioned it already. Small group. Small group. And I'm saying this because we started our small group sign-ups last week. Um, and this is, small group is simple. About every other week, a couple of the groups I think meet every week. But about every other week, you know, you go to somebody's house it's not necessarily even about a Bible study. It's about going somewhere and getting to know their name and knowing their kids' names and learning that their, their mom has got cancer and just, she just needs to cry about it and you need to be there for her. And it's like, it's, that's, it's life, right? And the group I've been with, I think we've been together about two years. Is that right? I think most of us. And, um, you know, it's taken us a while to get to know each other. But now that we do, we got each other's numbers. We can lean on each other. I just want to encourage you to do this. Consider signing up for one of the small groups on the table as you leave today. You'll get an email that says, hey, this is the details about the group. You know, you're not signing your life away. You're just saying, okay, I, I want to meet some people at the church. I want to try to get in community. Stick around. Break bread. Think about a small group. There's lots of other ways. But here's the point. Community rarely happens on accident. It's got to be deliberate. It's got to be something we say, you know, we're going to get together. We're going to do this together. And maybe you can just start with someone that you already know. We've been talking about grabbing coffee. Let's finally do it. Let's just finally meet, right? Let's finally talk. Let's finally get to know each other. That's the first one. And by the way, the longest challenge, place a priority. Place a priority on surrounding yourself with God chasers, people who are going to help you grow closer to God. Here's the second one, uh, and it's, it's very simple. The second challenge is this. Not only do we need to be in priority, make it a priority to be in community with people who are chasing God, we need to also reach out to people who don't know Jesus. And that's got to be our community. We've got to be in community with people that don't know Jesus. And we've got to point them to him. One thing you might hear a lot of Christian people say is like, you need to cut off all your relationships with people who aren't like seeking God. And I'm going to tell you something. That is not how the early church did it. 
That's not all. Look, look at, look at this, this, this uh, verse. It says they broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying favor of all people. But listen to this. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved, which means that the people that were coming in as new people weren't part of the group before. It's really important. And one of our like, values as a church is that we shine light in dark places. It's not that we kick people out of our life. It's just that we allow them to not be the people who influence our life. We become the influencers. We would put people and say, I'm going to shine light into your life. And we're not going to let all the drama and all the stuff come and seep into my mess because I'm trying to fix my mess. But I want to be friends with you. I want to I just love you. I want to help take care of you. And here's the thing. When people see that, Jesus said this. When people, we let our, our light shine before men so that when they see our good deeds, they'll give glory to God in heaven. It all the time works. It all the time works. It might take longer for some people. But if we would make it a priority in our life to make sure there are people in our life that we can point to Jesus, man, it'll make an eternal difference. People's lives in the early church were being changed forever. People's lives in the modern church are being changed forever because people are finding a way to build community with them and help not only connect uh, with each other, but help connect them with God. Harry Potter. How did we get here from Harry Potter? It's crazy how that works, isn't it? Harry Potter had to fight like the biggest, scariest wizard monster of all time. And, uh, and he won. But he didn't do it by himself. He surrounded himself with people. That's what we got to do. But once again, I want to break the analogy and get back to, to Jesus. If it was up to me to carry your burdens, I would let you down every time. If it's up to you to carry my burdens, you would let me down every time. And so sometimes we, we get tempted to place so much emphasis on the community part that we forget to breathe life into that community. And there's only one source of life. That's Jesus. We talk a lot more about it, but I'm just going to kind of plug him right here because we talked about him already. Jesus is the source, the lifeblood of that community. Jesus created a family called the church. It's his family. Life is hard, so he gave us each other, but we're nothing without him. Jesus said, listen, I will fight for you. I will die for you. I will raise from the dead for you and give you life. Will you turn to me? This is the way he says it in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. He said, come to me. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. <sighs> Man. <laughs> Maybe you needed to hear that. I know I did. Jesus will give you rest. And in that state of rest, we can move forward and help other people. He keeps saying, take my yoke upon you. His yoke is like his, uh, his set of teachings, his, his worldview. Take, take, take me upon you. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Life is hard, but you don't have to do it alone. In fact, you shouldn't do it alone. So don't do it alone. Embrace fellowship, community, friendship with the family that God has placed on earth. And let's do this together. Let's pray. God, you're good. Uh, that song we just sang, you were good, good, good to us. And those aren't just words, that's just a promise. You, you provide for us. You'll never leave us or forsake us. You're never going to let us go. And, and sometimes we get, like, we get so wrapped up in how heavy the world is, and it fogs our vision, and it clouds our thinking, and we just... Don't turn to you and forgive us for that, God. We're, we're, we're just 
we're selfish and we're, we're short-sighted. But God, what I pray for today is that we can be a group of people, all of us right here in this room, that right now in our own minds we can commit ourselves to, to put, putting people in our life, to embracing the people that maybe you've already put in our life, or to begin to seek people in our life who will begin to lead us closer to you every day. Not because they're so good or not because we're so good, but because you're so good. And you give us that chance. Lord, we love you. We thank you for the fun ways that you let us approach your truth. And uh, just help us to take this into the rest of our week and shine light into the darkness and have our lives be changed through you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.